did this training. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember we did this. Bread and butter, you should be very good at it. Every day is a training day when you're going out on that medic unit 10 times a day. Welcome to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. I'm your host, Clayton O'Brien, and I'm the fire chief for the city of Oregon. I'm joined by my co-host, Captain Joel Fry from the city of Napoleon. Welcome to episode 20 of the Triple P Podcast. This is part two with Mark Hill, and uh, we're starting to really get into diving into the conversation regarding Too Dark 30, his book that he wrote. Um, and that's where I really want to lead this uh, this conversation off as part two. And and uh, there's a whole bunch of different chapters that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about. But but before we get into that, I really wanted to hear from Mark on his views on you know first. How did you come up with the name Too Dark 30 uh, for your book? And then, uh, and then also, you know, how long did it take to write a book of, you know, 230 some pages? Uh, you know, these are questions that I think that our listeners would cer- certainly be interested in uh, knowing like, hey, they're probably in a position where they've been told once in their life, you should write a book. And, and they think about that and then they're like, well, you know, uh, I didn't really like writing essays in high school or in college or whatever else. So let's walk through that process a little bit of how long it may have taken it. And then, um, you know, if you had any advice, if somebody was to want to write a book, um, what advice would you give to them? Um, how do they get started? Where do they get started? And, um, you know, then we'll just, we'll dive in there and go chapter by chapter. Yeah. It's funny. The name Too Dark 30 comes from well it's quasi-military right because everything is called dark in the military after midnight so uh too dark 30 meaning 2 30 in the morning 2 30 a.m so as you know as a teacher when i'm teaching courses and things like that and i'm always you know trying to relate to the to the young ones the inexperienced ones you know listen i want you to be able to act at too dark 30 i want you to be able to do this at 2 30 in the morning when here in wisconsin bar time's 2 a.m so you know, everyone's everyone's leaving the bars and all the you know the proverbial crap hits the fan at 2:30 in the morning. That's when you get in the multiple car accidents. There's an overturned school bus full of hemophiliac children, and you know <laughs> the the babies hanging out the window. I mean that that literally you know that's the that's the go time, right? That's that's the witching hour. That's the time when you got to be able to act, you know, and know what you're doing and be able to help people at that time. So. The title of the book came from that as my kind of go-to phrase when I was teaching. Hey, when, at two dark thirty, you got to where are you going to be at? At two dark thirty, I want you to I want you to be able to do this at two dark thirty. And I look at you, I need to know that you're you're with me, and I need to know that you're you know you're going to help me, right? So that's that's where the title comes from. The subtitle, inspiring stories, you know, for teaching and learning and, you know, America's, you know, in our heroes. Well, that, that all comes from my basis of teaching, right? Talking about storytelling, talking about, you know, inspirational things that, to really develop the teaching and the learning in, you know, emergency services. So, you know, getting back to the, that topic of, you know, storytelling and how, you know, it drastically can affect your education and your actual teaching abilities. You know, like I was saying before, it doesn't have to be your story. You know, the the things can come from everybody else. It doesn't have to just be something that you experienced. Let me tell you about something else that happened. Let me tell you about another incident that occurred. Let me tell you about this. And that will pull people into what you're talking about. The, the fact that, you know, teaching in general, um, is something that a lot of people, it's like public speaking, right? The number one, you know, I think the last time I saw the number one uh, thing people, uh, hated or was scared about was speaking in public. Well, how do you get good at speaking in public? You got to do it. You got to do it. You just got to do it. (laughs) You just, you just get, you just got to get out there and do it. And you know, it's like anything, like if you don't get nervous, before doing something, then there's some, there's probably something wrong with you. I remember, you know, watching, you know, some of the episodes on Disney plus talking about, uh, Tom Brady 
you know, talking about what, you know, as he was a quarterback and yada, yada, yada. And he fully admitted in the show. I mean, this guy, you know, like him or not, he is a fantastic quarterback and he's got the Super Bowl rings to prove it. He said straight up, if you were not, if you didn't have, have butterflies before a game and get nervous before a game, there's something wrong with you. Yep. This is Tom Brady. You know, of course he's, of course he's, you, you know, it's like, it's like the word expert. I hate the word expert because nobody is an expert. We all, it's impossible to know everything about a subject. You know, I can tell you about what I know. I can tell you about, you know, the experiences that I've had. If you think that I'm very knowledgeable about that subject, fantastic. But I will never call myself an expert because there's always something to learn. There's always something new to develop. There's always something that will make you grow as an individual, you know? So, when it got into writing the book, that was something that I really had to get over. Cause I was like, well, you know, you, like you said, Clayton, every, well, you should write a book. You should write a book, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you know, everyone can write a book. If I can do it, literally everybody can do it. This is not, you know, this isn't something that is special to, you know, a select group. Literally everybody can write a book. And it, and it, and it, like you said, Clayton, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be long. You know, it does not have to be that long, but when, at all. you know, and, and if they were saying, Hey, write a book. And, and honestly, I'll say, cause knowing your background, talking to you, yeah. um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Mark wrote a book. Uh, not only do you have a lot of knowledge in it, but it was maybe things that came from prior to your fire service career because of your, yeah. you know, teaching and, and your, uh, you know, all that schooling that you had before, if, yeah. if that prepared you more to be able to write a book than just, you know, Joe blow. Clayton write yeah. a book type of thing. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you. I, so to go back just a little bit, the idea of writing a book came from the fact that because of my teaching background and because of the history I have in education, I was kind of always, I don't want to say pigeonholed or I was typecast, but whenever we got new people or whenever there was a no new proby class or whenever something was going on that needed quote unquote, uh, lecturing education or whatever to be discussed, uh, talking on the television, I was always the media guy because Mark knows how to talk to people. He can, you know, we'll throw Mark out there, you know? So, and that, so I, I did all that. I would do the interviews. I would do, you know, the, the talks and, you know, I would train all the people and, you know, I, I was, I was there, which is fine with me because, like I said, I enjoy doing those things, you know, it, and that doesn't that doesn't bother me, you know, like it could some people. So it came real natural to me. So whenever because I was on a, you know, our department here in Wasis because we're a career department, I could only be on one shift. So I couldn't, you know, I was on B crew, which everyone knows is the best crew. So A and C crews they had to deal with, I wasn't there. So I was fielding texts and calls and emails of, Hey, when you did this or, Hey, how did you do this? Or, Hey, when this happened or what, when you, when you went through the checkoff list with the new, you know, so I was always fielding questions about, no, 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 this is how we do this. And, you know, this is explain it like this. And this is the type of question I want you to ask. Don't just say yes or no questions or true false kind of questions. I want them to explain to me, you know, like what are the, what are the medications we keep in the refrigerator? Okay, great. Why do we keep them in the refrigerator? You know, mm -hmm. what do we keep the cold saline for? What is that for? It's not for heat related emergencies, right? So I want you to explain to me that those are, those are what, you know, in my book, I kind of talk about those higher order thinking skills and, you know, stuff like that. Those are the types of questions you want to be asking people because it makes them think about, all the processes dealing with that thing and that's whatever the, it is that's the true that's the true reason of like a jpr that joel kind of talked about yeah. a little bit yep. um is that the jpr is to trigger that start so let's say we got a jpr at a four gas meter well it's not yeah. that you just know where the four gas meter is located it's yeah. it, it's that you not only know where it's located you know how to turn it on you know how to bump test it you know how to calibrate it yeah. you know all the four gas sensors and what they do and why they do it you know the limitations yeah. and you know that if it says this number on the lel then you know you got to do this it's about being proficient in whatever that is no different than what medications yeah. in your refrigerator or um you know and how much it's going to be or why we use it it's about yeah. um we started the conversation through uh through a jpr 
page or through their rookie book or a probationary book, it starts that conversation for you to get pro, you know, get proficient at it, then be checked off on it. And it's, and I think that you use that as a good example is that saying that it is now when you, when you were fielding the questions, were you feeling them from, uh, say other firefighters or other like, did you, cause I remember from your class that we talked a lot about field training officers. So were you yes. a field training officer in your department and then fielding questions from other field training officers or how was that going? Yeah. So basically when I, when, so when I was fire chief, I developed a whole training program that dealt with field training officers, having preceptors and things like that. Okay. When I left being fire chief and went to Wasa, we did not have that role. It's now in the contract that there's preceptors, but at the time there wasn't. So I was fielding questions from other firefighters who were, you'd get voluntold, Hey, you got the new guy. Uh, he, he's yours for the next month. Okay. So that's, that was always the, you know, that was always the, the topic that of, well, you know, they were, they were assigned the new person. They didn't really want that job. They did it. They didn't enjoy it. They knew I knew and I liked doing it. So they would always, you know, come to, to me with questions, which is fine. So I would give them what I would do, or I would tell them this is what I did or, you know, things like that. And then they did those things and it worked out pretty well. And that's where the, the, the idea of writing the book came along because I actually got hurt. Um, I had a couple of back injuries a few years ago. So I was off, I was off duty and, um, had time to myself and I just started like, you know what, I'm just going to start writing these things down. So that was my mistake. If my intent was truly to write a book in the beginning, I should have done a better job, literally making a list of all the topics and the ideas that I had, and then taking those topics and ideas and then, um, cause I'm a visual kind of person. So I, you know, I like using Excel and, you know, I like making charts and things like that. So, um, you know, putting everything on a post-it note and then, you know, taking it and, and organizing things like that. So, uh, I should have done that. I didn't, I just started writing, you know, basically whatever came off the top of my head and I would just, I would, and I just started writing stuff down. So that made it a problem for me halfway through because I had so much information and it was all literally trains of thought, random thoughts here, there, nothing like not organized at all. It was just like, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. (laughs) So I, uh, yeah, I, I, which was okay because I did get a bunch of information down, but I did not, I didn't have, it, it wasn't organized. So I had, I had to stop halfway through, go back and be like, okay, what am I, what am I, what do I want to, what, what's the point here? What am I really talking about? I need to organize this thing, you know, cause I was talking about officer things. I had, I had fire chief stories in there. I had, I had all kinds of different stuff. I'm like, okay, this book cannot be an education slash, you know, let me tell you about how I screwed up as an officer. There, there has to be a separation here. So I literally took all that officer stuff and put it aside and then reorganized everything into, okay, this book is going to be about how to, how to teach in the fire service, right? This is, I want this book. What do I want? What is the purpose of this? What do I want people to get out of this book? I want it to be a resource. I want it to be a guide. I want it to be, you know, in a conversational tone, like you and I were having a discussion. So it, it was very, I, you know, my writing style, um, hopefully you've picked up on that when you're reading it, that it's, it's not real jargony. It's not real, you know, specific about, you know, like really, it's not, a, I don't want to, I don't want to, it's not a textbook. I don't want your, people to think your it's writing style is kind of like, kind of like how we're talking right now. I feel yeah, like when I'm I, reading I, the book, like you're in the room, like telling me is how I has yeah. guessed how I'm taking it. Yeah. And that's exactly what my point. Cause I, you know, I've, yeah. I've been through lots of schooling and I've yet, you know, I've got a lot of paper certificates. Fantastic. You know what? Most of those things were so boring that, you know, it was so hard to focus and, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what did I just read? I just spent 35 minutes reading this thing and I don't even know what I read. 
I, that's not what my, I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted it to have stories. I wanted it to be short, sweet to the point, And I wanted it to be something that someone could come back to over and over and over again and pull something out of it. So that is where the organization came in. I wish I would have done that first. Because then, because then it kind of in hindsight, yeah, hindsight's always you yeah. know. But so then, how how long did it actually take? So as you as you were writing all these things down, then you realize, yep. okay, now I gotta I gotta almost take a step back, um, yep, reorganize yep. my thoughts, how I want to yep. you know put them into certain chapters. What's my main thing um, that you're talking yep. about? So how long did that whole process take for you to for you to write the book? Um, from start because. When I started the book and then when I realized I was probably 30,000 words into it where I was like, okay, I, this is, this is too much. That says a lot about you, know, you though, right there, Mark. I mean, because information. that, you know, that I, I think that says a lot about you because, um, for you to then go back 30,000 words in and realize yeah. I got to start over. Like, yeah. you know, and it's kind of, yeah. I, I, I contribute that to the same feeling of if you don't get nervous going in public speaking, then probably something's wrong with you. And what's wrong with you, I believe, is that probably nobody's wanting to hear what you have to say. Uh, I mean, because if you are, if <laughs> yeah. you're not getting nervous to be up there, that means that you've never been humble enough to realize that how I deserve this stage. You know, like if you're telling yourself that, you know, you, you should just all these things about, um, you know, just, and I lost my train of thought there for a second, but what I was trying to say is that, um, that if you don't get nervous going up in front of a, a group or have an audience, then I feel like that individual's not humble to be able to understand the true impact that they could have on these people. And their message yes. might come out a little different. Yeah. I, there's another phrase I always love, love to, to lose. Let me tell you how humble I am. Yeah. You know, you, I think we all know those people, right? Yep. It's just like, man, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you're, you know, you're, uh, um, you know, for you to be humble enough to, to read 3000 or 30,000 words and say, Oh my gosh, I got to start over that. That yeah. is, that is really something to be said because you've put so much time into it. So, so then after that, then what? So now you're like, Hey, I yeah. got to restart. I got to read. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. So that was the thing. It's just like, ah, you could have gave up, you know? Yeah, so, uh, no. So, and that's the thing, you know, I think, you know, just the way we are in this, in this service. So I'm like, okay, all right, well, all right, let's start over. Um, let's, let's organize this thing. Let's, let's, let's actually get some topics down. Let's actually go through and like, okay, these are important things I want to hit. Now I'm going to organize my list. What did I already talk about? Okay, great. Those fit into these chapters. You know, now what am I missing from these chapters? I need a story. I want to, I like stories. And, you know, I want that to be a part of this book. So I'm like, okay, let me think about a story about this or what happened with this instance. Or, you know, is there a story that I can recall that I can tell about, you know, whatever the, the situation is, you know, talking about creating scenario-based training, you know, and how important scenario-based training is. Or, you know, t let's talk about, you know, you know, chapter nine when I talk about, you know, hard, hard difficult conversations. You know, no one, no one told me and no one trained me how to tell someone that their, that their mom or dad or a loved one died. Like you, that, that, that there's no training for that. Mm -hmm. That's never been in a class I've ever had. You know, that was something I, came I back learned and told my experience. people about that right away. I came back yeah, and told I mean, my people like, uh, oh my gosh, you know, like I thought that resonated with me from your class. Like, yeah. you know, when you go up and Hey, I'm, I am that, that mother in the other room and you yeah. got to tell me that either the husband or grandfather, daughter, son, yeah. whatever had just passed away in the other room. And so I, when you said that, I'm like, you know, nobody's ever taught me how to do it either. And, and I could imagine some people, especially the young ones that come in, you know, yeah. and they get nailed with a couple of these right off the bat, you yeah. know, it's just, that would be very, very tough. It is. And no one, besides the fact that no one teaches us how to relay that conversation to somebody. No one teaches us how to deal with it mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And that's the thing. Like I, you know, I know PTSD and I know, you know, mental health and, you know, they're, they're, they're very popular right now to talk about. And it's super important, but at the same time, 
you know, we've been doing this stuff for decades, you know, and I could tell you and start crying about different things. And it's, we, you never, you never truly get to the heart of dealing with some of that stuff because we, we have to get to the next call or we have to, we have to go do the next thing or, okay, I'm done with the shift. I'm going to go home now. Right. We never really process it until we retire or, you know, we're hit with a situation that reminds us of whatever the event was and, you know, things like that. So, but no one, they, you know, they never talk about that. So that's why in the book, I, I wanted to make sure that number one, we talked about the death talk in chapter in that chapter, mm-hmm. but then I also talked about ways of coping with those things because again, no one told me how to cope with that stuff. No one taught me how to deal with those things. You know, people, and I'm not a drinker. I don't, you know, I, I never, I never got used to the, the taste of beer. It was one of the, you know, I just, yeah, I'll drink a, I'll drink a beer if I have to, but you know, you never got the acquired taste. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that has an acquired taste in my opinion, it's like, well then why would I, you know, (laughs) coffee, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a coffee guy. I've never been a coffee guy. Wow. You know, with your energy, your energy, no coffee. coffee? No, I don't. I would rather drink a two liter of Coke and chase it down with a pound bag of gummy bears, you know, that's, you know, or eat a double cheeseburger from Wendy's or, you know, that my, that's my thing. Like, you know, emotional eating was my support structure, you know, that's, which is not a good thing. But at the same time, I also wasn't getting into the alcoholism factors, you know, or other substance abuse things that, that are, those are negative coping strategies, right? Cause you, I'm trying to forget, or I'm trying to deal, or I'm trying to, you know, and, but you have to you have to understand that you have to know that going in that you know, this is not I shouldn't be doing this this is not helping you know so when I talked about that in that chapter I wanted people to say or I wanted them to see that hey try try painting go for hikes do if you're into music you know play music write write a book if you want it, you know, journaling, getting, getting your thoughts out on paper does help, you know, all those different, there's all kinds of things that you could do in a positive manner to deal with all the crap that we have to deal with and that we see in a career. And I think that's half the problem with some of the recruitment and retention issues that we're having, because it's almost like when I was teaching the, uh, when I was teaching in public school, they had always, I mean, there's always looking for special ed teachers. That's always the number one thing they're looking for. Why is that? Well, because the burnout rate for a special ed teacher is like three and a half years. They've done studies on this. Well, why is that? Well, you get into all the different things and all the different responsibilities that they have to deal with and then dealing with the student and the family that comes along with it and then all the structure and then all the, all the, all the, all the, all the three and a half years. I'm I'm done doing it. I'm out of here. And we're kind of, we're kind of seeing that now in this industry where we're getting new people in. And they're not staying or they're transferring, right? They're getting, we're getting lateral transfers from other departments or we're getting people that are just like, you know what, this is not what I thought it was. And I'm going to go and do this. And because unemployment is so low, they can just leave. It's, it's, they just pick up and go, you know, it's not like it was 30 years ago when you had a thousand people apply for a job and we're just riding the engine and we're just doing firework. You know, like I said, in our department, 95% of what we do is EMS. I mean, we're, we're really paramedics and we're part-time firefighters, you know, let's, you know, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, but at the same time, where should we spend our training then? Right. What, what, what are we going to train on? Well, we have all the, we have all of our refreshers that we have to do. We have all of our continuing education that we have to do, but Am I going to spend so much time on something like I see like IV starts, you know, how many thousands of IVs that I've done? Am I going to waste my time and I'm going to waste my cruise time going through the, you know, the step-by-step process of how to start IV? No, because we do it every day, thousand times a day. Why would I, I'm not going to waste training time on that. I'm going to talk about stuff that could kill me. I'm going to talk about stuff that could kill somebody else. 
you know, I'm putting my hands up to. because I just want to like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's everything about that, that I preach as well too. Like I get it. We do 80, 90% of EMS calls in our department too. That's what we do on a regular basis. So therefore bread and butter, yep. bread and butter you should be very good at it. Every day is a training day when you're going out on that medic unit 10 times a day. Um, yep, and, yep. and I'll use what Gordon Graham always talked about. EMS calls was your low risk, high yep. frequency. Low risk, get out there, do your job, be compassionate, you know, um, read the protocol, study the things, you know, you, we do it on a regular basis and you're going to learn on every call, but where to your point, where our training should be is where it's going to be high risk, but low frequency. So we don't do it that often, but super high risk. Uh, it could kill me. It could kill yeah. one of my coworkers. It could kill yep. somebody else. If I don't know how to do my job, then I can't get to that individual that's in trouble that expected me to be able to show up at two dark 30 without yep. having to think about it and be able to rescue that person no matter what it took. Deploy the line, get the water on the fire, Get which means all those other things in between is operate the pump correctly. First of all, get to the scene with knowing yep. the address. All these different things that we can name about all the time. And and I kind of preach in, in our department that we are a fire department first that happens to do EMS because we need yeah. the mindsets to be able to say that it's Oregon fire and rescue for a reason. Rescue yeah. came about in the fire-based EMS system because that's what kind of eventually was able to support fire departments because the need wasn't as much as we see as fire prevention has grown and fires have gone down. The need for actual fire-only departments is has drastically decreased compared to what it used to be. So EMS yeah. comes along which then does damage the volunteer service um, it, because now EMS brings in too many runs for those volunteer services, which then created that part-time and that snowball began to roll where you found yourself in a combination department or uh, you know uh, an all-career department that does both. But to spend the time and the training needed to be really focused on the fire-related skills um, because they, can, they have such a, a dramatic effect for everybody. So thank you for bringing up that point uh, um, because I, I'm, I'm truly aligned with you there. Yeah. And I talk about Gordon Graham in my book too. The, yeah. Cause that's exactly, you know, that talk that he gives, mm -hmm. you know, talking about, you know, what are the low frequency, high risk events? Yeah. That's where you should spend your time training. You know, you've got discretionary time and then you got your non-discretionary time, Love it. you know, yep. where it's just like, listen, I can't, you don't have time to think you need to act. Yep. You know, that's get, you know, which I also mentioned in the book about OODA loop and, you know, and that, you know, Colonel Boyd, who who was the guy who came up with that OODA loop strategy was that was a study done of fighter pilots that were dying in dogfights during the Korean war. Why were all these guys dying? Well, because they, they weren't orienting, they weren't reacting and they weren't doing the things that they were observing quick enough to avoid enemy fire. They were not, they were taking too much time in their decision-making, not reacting like they knew how to do. Mm -hmm. So that's where the, that's where the whole OODA loop strategy comes in. And that's, which is a whole nother teaching aspect, right? So it's just like, listen, we have to, we have to take all these different things and all these different concepts. And I tried to put them, pair them down into that book to try to be like, okay, listen, th in this service, these are the best ways that I have found to disseminate and teach information. Right. Because it's one thing for someone to have knowledge. It's another thing for them to take that knowledge and now apply, adapt, and having a skill to then act in that two dark 30 time. Because it's just like, listen, we don't have to, I don't have time to lecture and to tell you and to teach you how to do something at 2.30. I, I need you to be able to do it. Yep. We're doing okay. that at 2.30 in the afternoon. You know, like exactly, we're yeah. doing That's that when we have downtime. Too. Yes, we're not going to be yeah. in the recliner. We're going to be doing no. it during the, you know, and, and, and to what I also, you know, obviously uh, Gordon Graham thing, predictable is preventable. We know there's going to yeah. be a fire sometime. We know there's going to be an EMS call. We know there's going to be a motor vehicle accident. We know all these things. And we just have to make sure that we're utilizing our time within our 24-hour shifts that to prepare us for that. It's predictable. Yeah. It's going to happen. And that's the thing, too. Like, when you get into scenario training, that's why I'm a big proponent of coming up with scenarios. Mm -hmm. It's just like, listen, you can cover so many different things in one scenario, right? We can do a lifting assist. We can do a rescue. We can do uh, a writ 
situation. We can do a, a an entry with hose lines. We can do a, uh, you know, and enter search if you really, I mean, there's so many topics we could do all at the same time in the same scenario, right? We can hit all these different bases, check, 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 all these different things in one scenario. If it's well orchestrated, well organized and has everyone on the same page, does that mean that we all talk about what we're doing prior? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. We should talk about, this is a training exercise. Yep. You know, when I was coaching football, we, we practiced the plays that we would run, you know, and we'd go against dummies or we'd have, you know, I would have the defense standing in, a, in the formation of the team that we were opposing, right? They're playing a 4-3, they're playing a 4-4, they're playing a 5-2, whatever they're going to be, you know, we would practice against that situation and then we'd run the play and then we'd do it again and then we'd do it again and then, hey, what if they adjust to this? Now we're going to run it this way. When we do scenarios in the fire service, we should be doing the same thing. If we're going to do high-rise, let's do high-rise. But you know what? We can cover pumping at the same time. We can come. We can do standby operations at the same time. We can do a rope rescue situation at the same time. We can do you know, ICS at the same time. We can do rehab at the same time. We can, you know, All these different things that we can do at the same time in the same scenario. Yeah, And we can have different groups of people doing those different things, and then we can rotate, and then we'll rotate again, and then we can rotate again so that everyone gets a chance to see what we're doing. And then after the fact, let's talk about what happened. You know, Let's have our own after-action review. Let's, let's, let's do an actual talk about what went well, what went bad, you know, what did we screw up, what do we need to focus more attention to, what do we, you know, what are we lacking are there, is there tools that didn't work, right? Because we're firefighters and we love breaking stuff and no one knows how it got broke. So, I mean, <laughs> what what happened? Yeah. Those are all things that we can do in the same scenario and that could be happening in the same, you know, one hour time frame. It doesn't have to take days, weeks, months. Mm-hmm. You it know, goes back to Joel's. It goes back to how Joel just talked about the you know 170 170 some slides on ladders in a lecture would take you know a couple hours. I mean I- at yeah. least, and that's yeah. that would be you know kind of flying through them if you will because that's a little over yeah. a, a slide of a, you know a minute. And so yeah. <laughs> if, if that's the case, look how much you're able to capture with your hands on. So it's the exact same thing. Scenario base puts them in, a, you know, you're, you're putting all the different things together. And then actually yeah. where I feel as a student, you know, is able to really kind of say, you know, like, okay, I took this part. Now I know what the things I know my shortcomings in that, but you know what? You may know that you may know that you missed the mark on there. Talk about it in the post-action. Talk about it in that thing because then you're going to help three other people to not do that exact same thing, and that's the whole point. That's why I I would always go first, (laughs) be the first one to volunteer for a lot of things so I can mess it all up, and then everybody can learn from it because then, you know, I didn't really know how to do it in the first place, but if I go first, then everybody's going to feel, oh, okay, you know, it's not that bad, or he didn't really know. But it helps everybody learn for for the next one. It's okay, you know, and and that's what – that's really, I think, what is um, back to that humbling experience and about everybody just trying to create an environment in our training atmospheres that say it's okay to make mistakes and that that's where yeah. we want you to make those mistakes so you can learn to um, make them where they're, they, they're no longer a mistake because now you've done it so many times that you can't mess it up. Yes, and that's where, like, you know, the the heavy responsible, you know, the heaviness of being an officer comes in, right? the the weight of listen it's your ship you know if you're the lieutenant or the captain of that of that house or engine or ladder company or whatever that whatever if you are the person that that's your responsibility mm-hmm. and if something goes wrong you're the one that's going to be called to ask you know what happened why why did you know why did mark act in that way why did he not know what was going on well, uh, you know, when was the last time you did training on that topic or that issue? Well, six months ago. Well, last year. Okay, great. Fantastic. You know, we just, you just got proven in a deposition that you're an incompetent leader. You know, what else are you incompetent with now? So then it's just like, you know, that's how lawyers are. And they, then they, then they pick you apart. Then you're done. You know, and yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't want to see anyone in that position. 
I, I don't. Whether you're in volunteer service or a career service, I don't want to ever see anyone have to be in a deposition and explaining your actions, mm-hmm. right? That That is the worst thing in the world. It is not fun, you know? But at the same time, if you if you take the training and the education seriously and you develop those scenarios that we're all going to run through and we're all going to do, that's that's where the planning and that's where the curriculum comes in of, hey, we can spend the next three months developing scenarios. You know, if we know we should have, we, you know, hopefully you've got a training, you know, plan and a, and a timeline set up that, hey, in, you know, August, we're going to do this scenario. In September, we're going to do this scenario. In January, we're going to do this scenario, you know, because, hey, there's perfect times to do certain things, right? You shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be doing ice rescue scenarios in the middle of January, right? That's something you should have done prior to January. I'm not going to do heat related emergencies, you know, in August when that's something we should have hit back in February, right? (laughs) I mean, so you should have planning and coordination done. Spend the time on the front end developing those things so that on the back end, when we actually do it, it's smoothly operated. We got everything, all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted. We have everything set up so we can actually go through. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't reevaluate what we did? Hell no. We're going to go back. We're going to talk about in that after action. We're going to go through, hey, what do we need? What do we need to change next time? What should we have done differently? This, you know, this didn't work out because of that. Whatever the situation, write those things down. Everyone should have a discussion about what went well, what went wrong. Because when you do those scenarios, especially for the younger guys that haven't seen those situations, that's going to give them a, that contextual memory of, hey, when we did this training, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember we did this. Great. Because now you know how all the cogs in that clock are all working together. That's right. Because our brains, our brains don't know whether we did it in training or if we did it in a real life incident. They just know that we did it. And so that's where it's a challenge to the veteran firefighters. Those, the individuals that have been, you know, on for five plus years, I, you know, you may not be as veteran as the 15 year plus. So, but the reason why that I say that's a challenge of them is because they need to share their knowledge. You guys have been around. You've seen a lot. And in order for yeah. the individual that you're so upset with that, you know, that find themselves tracking back to the, the kitchen table as quick as they can because they don't know what they don't know. And, um, and that, uh, you know, they'll do anything that you ask them to do, but it's just the difference in generation and understanding the way that the individuals are. Um, and our younger generation, they, they do lack a little bit on the uh, motivation and initiative and things of that. Now, I've never had any issues of you ask one of them to do something they will certainly do it and complete the task and do a very, very, very nice job at it. It's just about trying to get them, you know, to, to, to get a little bit more motivated initiative. That's where we challenge our, our veteran firefighters that, that have that motivation, have that initiative. They've had that humbling experience where they felt like they were on the top of the world and your Dunning-Kruger effect until they had that yep. one that just dropped them down and they just realized, oh my gosh, I don't know everything and that that's where that really kind of we need those to start spreading that knowledge to those younger individuals because if they if they see their veteran firefighters and their senior firefighters uh on their shifts being passionate about training and engaged and whatever else that's going to help get them motivated and engaged in everything in in the training too absolutely and you know a lot of it especially on the teaching side a lot of it does come to motivation you know, you got to make it exciting. You got to make it interesting. You got to make it fun. You got to make it worth, you got to make it worth their while. Yeah, you do. And does that mean that you have to play game show host a little bit? Yeah, it does. Uh, Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it does. Because the worst thing in the world is listening to someone drone on in a monotone voice, right? (laughs) That is just like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't even know what he's talking about. Or, you know, all those different things. It's like, yeah, you got to make it fun. You got to make it interesting. You got to make it exciting. Okay. So how can I do that? Right. How, how do I, how do I get everyone talking? How do we communicate? The number one reason why, you know, some of the, the generational differences we have, we all blame the past generation for problems. I mean, that's just, but that's what every generation does that. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, I am, you know, I'm a generation Xer. So, you know, I, you know, see the people before me, the baby boomers. Well, you, you grew up with 
lead and you were licking paint chips and you didn't do this and you know what your hippie generation i mean all this different <laughs> stuff you're the reason why everything's screwed up because of all this because that's in my generation that's what we saw but what does everyone love complaining about now millennials you know because they're now the next generation but millennials will complain about generation xers well you're the ones that Every generation does that. And I think every, that just, and yeah, every one of them do. And I think it's just an excuse. I think it's just, again, what it boils down to is what are you doing to make the fire service better today than it was yesterday? So yeah. how, how do we, how are you improving? yeah, how are you improving it, improving upon yourself, uh, making, taking and sharing your knowledge to improve somebody else. Uh, but far too many times we have to just make sure that we're not working harder on our second jobs or on our jobs outside than what we are on our primary job in the fire service. Cause you know, in the fire service, a lot of people have two jobs. Don't be working yeah. harder in your second job. So then you can come and, you know, hit the recliner on your, on the primary job that gives you the opportunity to work that second job because of the way that our schedules are built. So yep. use that time to invest into the younger person, use that time to invest in yourself um, and, and continue upon that. So, um, but I'm going to segue us in right into um, some of the things that I think that I would really want you to touch on before we, before we get off. And this has been awesome, Mark, by the way. I mean, I can't believe we've been talking for an hour and a half already. I'm sorry. So, uh, no, very easy. So I, I really appreciate it. Make you've, you've made it, uh, you've made it very easy. So, um, I think we've covered a lot of the, uh, different chapters in your book, but, um, I just want to, um, I want to jump to a couple different ones that I, I'd like to get yeah, your no take. Good. So the listeners could, could, uh, you know, hear the lightning it. round, go for yeah, it. the lightning round. So, um, <laughs> one of the ones that biggest is, um, you know, why creating a team is important. It would be chapter, this is uh, chapter six of your book, Why Creating a Team is Important. Well, for me, the reason why I had that whole chapter dealing with this goes back to my time as a teacher, but also as a coach. Having been a head coach, multiple, you know, like I said, boys and girls, different sports, that concept and that camaraderie that you get out of team activities is also what lends directly to the fire service. And that's where we get that family, that brotherhood, sisterhood, where we all are, we're all part of the same group, right? You know, some of us spend more time, you know, with people we work with than some of our own family members, right? That's where, you know, the, you know, the phrase, it's the second family comes in because, you know, literally I am, I trust you to save me and you are trusting me to save you. Mm -hmm. So developing that trust and that respect can only be done in, in my view, in that team atmosphere, right? It's not an individual thing. It's, you know, three musketeers, all for one, one for all, because in our service, I can't, I'm not going to freelance, right? Freelancing gets you killed. So everything I do, dealing with the scenario training, dealing with, you know, um, any kind of educational opportunity that we're going to, I am going to make sure that everyone is involved and part of a team and they understand that I trust you to get your part done. I can't do part C until part A and B is done before it gets to me. And I'm not going to micromanage you to do that. I'm waiting at the front of that house with flames, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to make entry. I'm not going to tell the engineer how to run his pump. I'm not going to go down there and catch that hydrant, right? Certain things have to happen before that water gets to me at the nozzle, and we make entry through that door, right? That's that is the team concept. We can't we can't do this job safely and effectively unless everyone trusts and knows that everyone is doing their job and doing it well to the fact that I don't have to worry about what's going on over there because I have to worry about what's going on in front of me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's a good so point. Any, anytime I, any, and that goes back to that scenario train too. Anytime I can put people into a team and, and, and force them to see how those wheels and cogs all relate together. Right. That, that is where that concept comes from. And a lot of it does come from athletics. 
you know, I, you could be the best quarterback, best you know running back in the world, but if you don't have a line blocking for you, it ain't gonna happen. You never, you don't have a receiver to throw to, it ain't gonna happen. You don't have that running back that uh, all the, I, you know, I play defensive end. I, you know, I could do everything in the world, but I, you know what? I'm not gonna be everywhere on that field by myself. I can't do it. I need to, I need to trust everybody else, right? And that's where a lot of that, you know, camaraderie and goofing around. It, Cause I talk about it in the book. That's where, that's where cooking together. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we, you know, it's important that we hang out and we talk and we discuss and why every solution in the world can be solved at the firehouse kitchen table. It's because that atmosphere has to happen. And if that atmosphere is not there, then you're not going to have the trust. You're not going to have the camaraderie. I'm not going to have, you know, the relationships that we need to be successful and safe in this industry. So that has to happen. Yeah. And, and being I, a part of that team is hugely important to that. I agree. And I think that, um, you know, to, to your point of being able to have the camaraderie and cooking together and eating together, talking around the table, um, th- th- those times there are critical in being able to create the team, getting to know each other. Um, the other yeah. parts that I think is super, super important of creating the team is that, you know, is on the fire training ground. Um, you know, because now we're kind of, we're hot, sweaty, you're doing your thing, you know, and, and you're seeing your, your, you're seeing your partner, coworker, um, in a vulnerable state, just as well as they're seeing you in a vulnerable state. And as yep. that happens and you get all done and everybody's high five and happy and you know, whatever else, and that we're, we're able to build upon what it is, then you start getting this, you know, uh, persona about your shift. Like, you know, we are the best yep. shift and then we are engaged and we want to be the best shift. That's why we hold ourselves here because that's what we all worked very, very hard together, but we're doing it together. And so, yes. um, not every fire department has that though. You know, some fire departments, I know. It's, 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 it's just so sad. It's hard right? to believe. And that's the thing. Like, you know, it goes back to, you know, all the leadership books, right? There's hundreds of leadership books. There's hundreds of teaching books. And it's just like, man, you know, why is it so prevalent in so many different departments that, you know, leadership is, is lacking in certain aspects and why education is training is always seen like, Oh God, we got to train, you know, mm-hmm. Oh geez, we're going to No, it should be. Yes. You know, it's yes, fun. Like have fun today. out there and yes. do your thing because you know, that's what we signed up to do. I mean, that's, we want to get our gear on. We want to go and do those things, but you know, it's leadership, you know, to the point of like, there's been so many books out there and then there's been so much talk about it. I kind of wonder sometimes if leadership uh, at least in the fire service has become more self-promoting of, you yeah. know, and that's, and that, and where firefighters see that they're not, they're not dumb. Yeah. You know, they, they see it like, well, Oh, well, you're just, <laughs> what's that? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be blowing smoke. Yeah. You know? Don't be it's, blowing smoke. And that's, and that's where I think is like, if it's, it, it becomes more self-promoting rather than just, you know, where, at least chiefs and other individuals, leaders in their departments need to invest in their people and know and hear and listen to their people. Because that I think is, you know, really goes back to what you had talked about here is, you know, why creating a team is so important. Well, creating a team is so important for all the reasons you just give, but it's just as important for the firefighters as it is more, just as important for the fire chief and whoever the leader is of that department. So, um, get out there, spend the time with your people, sit at the kitchen table, have some conversations and I know it's hard sometimes to find that time, but, um, but you know, you gotta make it. it. And, and I will go back to behind the desk. That's right. Get out there. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, when you know talked about lateral transfers and, you know, firefighters leaving a different department, I did ask a firefighter one time of, you know, Hey, why, why did you choose, you know, to leave that department to come to the other, this other department? It's just, well, because the chief ate, lunch with us. You know, it doesn't happen all the time, but he says, you eat, you eat lunch with us. You sit at the table. It's like, that's the thing is like, I think that far too many times that we, 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 we can get consumed in the office. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm just as guilty of that. Like there has been, yep. there, there's weeks where I just, I am just buried where you're trying to get out and, and do those things. And you want to, you want to go spend the time and be able to be at the kitchen table and be able to have those conversations. Cause really that's the time that they might have with their leader or their, their, individual to say the things that they want to say and feel like, you know, yeah. not everything has to go prim and proper all the time. So, yes. um, 
So yeah, I wanted to touch base on the team thing and why it's so important because I truly believe it is in our fire service because we love one we we got to love one another. We got to want the best yeah. for one another. We can't be uh, you know silo pillars that all I want to do is self promote and be my own person uh, so I can be held on this pedestal during whatever time that they may feel. But I want you to be I want you to be more successful um, uh, because I can assist you in that way. Like I I, I find rewarding aspects of the of the service when you're able to learn something new or that whatever you believe in your successes that is trying to get there that and you're getting there that we are just as happy for each other you know absolutely and that's the thing like every teacher you know sees that of their students you know i want you to be successful yeah Yeah. i want to do everything i can to make sure that you are a knowledgeable, you know, you have all your KSAs down, right? Your knowledge, skills, and ability. Yep. I want to make sure that you are better firefighter, paramedic, hazmat technician, rope rescue, whatever, you know, whatever discipline you want to say, I want to make sure that you're the, you're better than me. Yes. I'm going to give you, like I said, like I said, I'm going to give you every tool that I have in my toolbox. I'm going to dump it into your toolbox. That's that maybe has a bunch of other tools, but here's everything I got. You know, but we're making the fire that, service that is everything I have. Yeah. And we're making the fire service better today than it was yesterday. We're preparing for tomorrow's incidences, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So, all right, let, what another one before we, before we wrap up here. So, um, yeah, yeah. and I, I'll hit you with the, uh, the number nine chapter, number nine, the toughest conversations yeah. can be the most critical. Talk about it. Well, that goes back to when I was talking about the death talk, right? Where we don't, we don't, we don't have that training. I mean, literally, you know, and I said this at the conference, one of the first, one of the things I do with my, when I'm the preceptor and I have a new probationary firefighter with me is, okay, we sit in the back of the ambulance. I'm like, okay, we just ran a code, uh, she was, you know, we'll, we'll say that this lady was, you know, 76 years old. She's the mother of three. Her current daughter is 24 years old or whatever. Uh, we worked her for an hour, right? We actually, we went through the whole gambit. Didn't end well. She died. I'm now the daughter. Tell me that my mom is dead. And that's the thing, like the, the new people, especially the younger ones that, have, that don't have life experience, that mm-hmm. have dealt with death, they will sit there and give me the blank stare and be like, Oh, I, geez, I, um, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, it sucks. It does. It's, it's horrible, mm-hmm. you know, but let's rip that bandaid off and let's, let's, this is how you need to do this. So then I will, will role play. I will, I'll be the person you are now. This is, you're now the daughter hate to tell you about what you know, and we'll go through the whole gambit. Right. And in the book I talk about, there's the grieving process, which is, you know, an acronym for different steps that you can go through as to hitting different levels of identify who the person was. Listen, your mother of, so, you know, all these different things. Do you, don't be vague, you know, be like, don't, you know, don't be like, well, they've passed and, you know, listen, I, I can't make real, you know, in today's day and age, we can't make religious assumptions, now, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that they're in heaven now and, you know, they've, you know, they're with the angels. It's just like, well, they may be not religious or they may, you know, they don't, I don't need to start a fight with somebody. Yep. Just be direct and say, listen, we, this is what we did. We responded. This is what happened. This was the situation that we were given. Um, I can't, don't, you're not a medical examiner. So don't, don't say how they died because we know eventually it's from cardiac, right? Their heart, their heart stopped beating for us, and we tried restarting it, but we don't know exactly. We don't know exactly what exactly happened, so don't say, "Well, they died because of this." Uh-uh. <laughs> so short, sweet, and to the point. But you need to be understanding with how you relay that information. So those conversations, those types of things, horrible things, horrible things, and again. No one taught me how to do that. Nobody did. Never had a class about that. That's only ha- that. That's just experience after having, unfortunately, have had to do it hundreds of times. Of hey, this is the situation. I'm sorry to tell you, such and such. You know, blah 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 blah. We did the best job we could. You know, but unfortunately, you know, it 
it didn't end the way we wanted it to do. Right. Yeah, and I don't, for you, I mean, it's easy for you to talk to people, you know? I mean, so remember you, you're, you're the person in your department that was doing the interviews oh, and yeah. talking to everybody. So like for you, it's easy to talk to people. There might be somebody out there that in your department, those young individuals that don't have experience in the public speaking world or don't have experience of telling any sort of thing. So to think about a topic like that, to even go over to role play, just, yeah. just awesome. And that, you know, those are the types of like in that chapter. So those are the types of conversations we need to have with our, with our people. And that, that goes for everybody. That doesn't have to be just the new people. Yeah, true. I mean, that goes for everybody. Yeah. Right. Just because, you know, like when I was, you know, I was chief, I had, I had a, I had a guy that was 72 years old on the, on the department. Does it mean that he's real good at it? Does it mean that maybe he knows a way to break the news that I haven't heard of yet or haven't seen, or, you know, Hey, he has maybe more experience with having lost loved ones himself or friends or colleagues and things like that. And he's like, you know what? You just need to say it like this. Yeah. Quite honestly, because being at that age, I mean, it might be his friends yeah. as all his siblings and everybody around him is passing away around him. And he's heard yeah. the message delivered to him numerous different times, but says, Hey, this might be, this is the best way to actually you yeah. know, say it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or, Hey, this is the way I wish someone would have said it. True. Yeah. 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 You know, after all the times I've heard that being told, this is the best way. This is how I want someone to tell me. And that's the other thing too. Like, you know, some people, and it goes back to knowing your audience and you know, that chapter of who our students are, you know, some people love being direct. They love just, you know, you need to be direct with me. Don't beat around the bush. Some people you need to be around the book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people you need to, you need to do it with, you know, with kid gloves. Yeah. Some people you can take that baseball bat and say, what are you doing? <laughs> but then other people you have to be like, Hey man, I realize what's going on here. I really like what you're doing, but you know, you have to know, right. You have to, you, but part of that is gauging who you're talking to. And like I said before, I'm not going to give this kind of a talk to a kindergartner. That's not, no, that's inappropriate, mm -hmm. right? Someone that is a direct relative or, a, you know, my, yeah, I'm going to tell them. But if there's a young kid in the room or whatever that could possibly hear me, I'm going to pull that person aside. I'm going to take them separately. Mm -hmm. I don't want the kid to be hearing what I'm going to tell mom. Mom can, mom can handle spreading the news or dad or whoever. Right. So having that knowledge of who's in the, who's even in the room is, is another big thing. Right. Cause that's stuff we don't really think about. Like, Oh, I spot, you know, geez, you know, or having the police, like when we, you know, most of our, you know, stuff that happens, we always have a, you know, LEO on scene. So they do a lot of, of others cause they actually, you know, body, you know, all those different things, technically the crime scene mm -hmm. you know, until they you know, release. So, there's other stuff that has to happen and they're very good at being a supportive, like, Hey, I'm, you know, I relay the news. This is bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to tell you. Cause we are, I'm sorry. You know, I couldn't imagine, you know, this, this sucks. It does. It sucks for everybody. You know, even if you're 85 yeah. years old, it still sucks, you know? So having that other person with you, to support you and then say, listen, this is officer such and such. He's going to be taken over. If you have any other questions, either contact me or here's a, and that's a thing. Like you should always have business cards or stuff to give to the family. Listen, if you have any other questions or if you need anything else, here's our card. You can call the station, blah, 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 blah. This was the crew, you know, that kind of a thing. Those are all nice gestures. Now are they, here's the thing. And we have to realize this when we're dealing with this kind of grieving situation is, those people may not hear half what you say because once you tell them that whoever had died, they're going to be, they stop listening. Like, cause they're in now in shock and they're in unbelievable, you know, they're, they're processing something completely different. So all this other stuff that you just relayed after the fact, it may not it have fallen on what they call deaf ears, mm -hmm. right? Because they stopped listening after you said your mother has passed or has, you know, your mother has died. So we have to understand that too. 
Well, uh, Mark, how about, and maybe, maybe it's just been your, your intent for nail biter the entire time, but, or maybe I missed it. I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, what, uh, so closing remarks. So we'll wrap this up here. So closing Close remarks, up, yep. but one thing that, uh, one question that I asked and, and, uh, is that what is that time frame? How long did it take you to write your book? It took me, well, so like I said, it, it was over two separate back injuries. So like so. over, like, would that be like, <laughs> it was over the course of a couple of years, couple of years. Okay. So yeah. then people wanted, cause and I'm trying to just wrap it up for like the individual, like if they said, Hey, write a book. And then now I'm like to yeah. that point or like, okay, I'm going to yeah. write a book. So then it took me, you know, plan on maybe two years or whatever it's going to be. Um, and I get it. It's going to vary for, for lots of different people. It, yeah. And it did. It like, I did a lot of that writing when I literally was laid up. Yep. Like I wasn't supposed to move, you know, I had, blew a couple of my, you know, my discs. So I literally was just sitting on a couch and I'm like, okay, well, nah, I can type. So that was, that was different, right? The, the two year process, I honestly writing the book probably only took me a few months. Okay. And it was just the- like literally of committed writing. Okay. Um, the other time was spent, it took me, a month, just a month to go over the organization and like the first kind of edits, like making sure I'm saying what I want to say. And I, I, you know, I want to have it written this way and uh, making sure that my story makes sense or, you know, stuff like that. Then it was finding another editor because we know what we want to say. We know, you know, my intent is this, yeah. but doesn't mean that it, that that is how it comes across. So then it's, I'm getting my wife to read it and then she gives me feedback and then I'm getting my father-in-law to read it and he's giving me feedback. And then I've got my dad to read it and he's giving me feedback. So then I'm making those edits. Then I'm talking to another friend of mine that is also a teacher that's going through their doctorate at the same time. So I'm like, Hey, you're a smart dude. I want you to read this. So they read it and then they gave their edits. And then I found an outside editor that their job is literally editing books. So got her to read it. She did an edit and then she sent it back. So then it's rewriting. Okay. Right? Yep. And it's going through those edit. And that, that probably took six months because, because at that point I, I have written, but now I'm waiting for someone else to read it. And then they have to make their suggestions. Yep. And then I get it back, right? But I didn't want to edit it all, you know, as piecemeal. So I waited until all the edits came back. Then I combined all those edits into then another finalized copy. Then I read it again. And then I had my wife read it again. <laughs> Whether she liked it or not, she read my book. So, um, And then at that point, I was like, okay, I this is pretty much as polished like I said, nothing's perfect. And I've, I, when I reread the, I reread it when I did my audiobook version of it, which is always funny. You don't realize how many, you know, Puh, and you know, these, you know, Puh, and things like that when you're speaking on a microphone. Uh huh. Um, so listening or reading it and then listening back and having to edit yourself. So that's always, that's a fun process. But I found errors even after all that edit you know, and it's just like, ah, you know, so then I went back and I, you know, changed a little bit, but so then what about it took, it took years? So, it did. Yeah, so then what about like, and then it was all the printing and all that stuff from there, uh, you know, after that yep. and okay. Yep. Yep. That part, that part was, if you want to call it the easiest part, because once you get your final manuscript done yep, and then you have your book cover done um, and you're happy with the way they look at least happy enough. Cause like I said, nothing's perfect. Yeah. And, you know, there's always, you know, personally, I like the cover. I think it's, I, I like it. My wife really likes it. Yeah. I so, like it. <laughs> she's like, no, it blends the chalkboard kind of stuff. And the writing kind of looks like, you know, it's written on a chalkboard and you know, yada, yada. So it stands out. I like it. It's simple. It's not too busy, you know, things like that. And it was one of the things like, do you want to have a picture on the cover? Do you not want to have it? You know? So, um, that part, was a little more fun because then it's a little more creative. Um, but at the same time, that part was then the easiest because at that point your manuscript is done and you're like, okay, 
this is it. Now, what color do you want the inside to be and how big do you want the print? And, you know, do you want it to be, you know, five by eight or do you want it to be bigger or, you know, so, but that's, it is what it is at that point. So it's whatever you want. Um, but that part, that part was the easiest. Okay. Getting to that point though. What <laughs> <laughs> was the hard part? Well, I really, really appreciate you sharing all that, uh, you know, about your book, but also all the knowledge that you brought to the podcast. And, uh, you know, I think the listeners just like myself will just appreciate all the, the things that you were able to share with us. And hopefully we can take back and apply some of those things in our departments, uh, maybe water our own grass a little bit more. And, uh, you know, with, uh, with Absolutely. the, with the, uh, information that you gave us. So, uh, I really appreciate your time, Mark, and uh, thanks for being on the Triple P Podcast. Thank you for having me. I uh, I enjoyed my time, and if you ever need me, reach out. Well, I am more than happy to share my entire toolbox with anyone that wants it. And yeah, for just to piggyback on that, so I want to uh, I want to say that for anybody that does want to reach out to Mark, he's always been super receptive, uh, you know, to me and responsive to me on uh, on LinkedIn. And um, and yeah. honestly, I was connected with Mark before I actually was able to meet him at the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association conference. Uh, so if you if you are and want to connect with Mark or see about what he's doing, what he's posting, he's always uh, you know got new information that he's putting out there on the LinkedIn profile. So uh, connect with him on there and. Um, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, you take away something from it. So, uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks again, Mark, really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you for tuning in to the triple P podcast, premier professional and proactive brought to you by the Ohio fire chiefs association. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please help us spread the word by telling your fire and EMS friends about this channel.